It is an incredible privilege to be uh, with you this morning. Uh, my name is Bucky Rogers. I am uh, one of the pastors at our church in Anderson Mill, uh, Anderson Mill Road Baptist Church in South Carolina. Um, so we, we drove a little ways to be with you this morning. Um, you may remember I was with you a couple of years ago and, and, and preached about, uh, about orphan care and about adoption in particular. And I want to tell you a little bit about my story. And I want to tell you a little bit of things, a few things from Scripture and then tie those things together and let you know sort of what God has called my family to do. Um, such an incredible privilege to be able to stand before a group of people and to be able to open the Word of God. And so I want to start with prayer and ask Him to, to lead uh, this time. So let's pray together. God, we love you so much. We thank you for this time to be together, to be called by your name, to be your people in this place for this time, for this purpose. God, we just pray that you would be with us this morning. Father, would you guide my words? Would you help the, the reading and the teaching of your words be clearly understood and put into practice? God, would you, would you keep me from error? And if there is anything that I say that is against what your will is for these people, I pray that you would strike it from our memory. But God, if there is something that you want to share through me to these people, I pray that that would come through clearly and that you would speak this morning. God, would your Holy Spirit be in this place? Would we feel his presence would we feel the power of his presence among us as we, as we listen, as we think, and as we hear from you? God, we surrender this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Fifteen years ago, I sat across the desk from our pastor as he was doing premarital counseling with my wife, Julie, and I. And we sat across from that, uh, that desk, and, and it was clearly stated, no kids. Uh, we both had, had very rebellious siblings that caused our family a lot of stress and a lot of, uh, a lot of turmoil, and growing up was, was not fun, and uh, we selfishly didn't want anything to do with any of that, and so we said, we're not having kids, uh, there'll be no kids in our future, we're going to have a nice clean home, and we're going to travel the world, and we're going to do whatever we want, and uh, I'm not sure if, um, if the Lord sees things in real time and, and decides to laugh at us occasionally. I'm pretty sure that he does. And if he was looking at that moment and, and had his sense of humor on him, I, I'm pretty sure he was laughing at me at that, at that moment, knowing what was going to come in our lives. But we went through the first few years of our lives uh, just firmly settled. We were not going to have kids. And so I began my ministry as a, as a youth pastor in a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, where I grew up and uh, just loved it had all kinds of free time to just minister to people and, you know, didn't have the encumbrance of children to, to take care of. And so we just ministered all, all, all day, every day. And, and decided to go to seminary and uh, to, to further my education through seminary uh, education up in Louisville, Kentucky. We enjoyed our time there. And a couple of years into that, I started writing uh, curriculum for a, a company called Student Life. And so we started writing some uh, some Bible study curriculum for teenagers, and I went to a writer's conference in Birmingham, Alabama, and the, the president of the company was sitting at the end of a, of a really long table. He had just come in for five minutes just to say hello to the writers and, and head back out, and uh, he talked about hosting uh, a couple dozen Ukrainian orphans in his home, and, and the purpose of that being to introduce them to as many people as possible so that maybe somebody would feel uh, compelled to begin the adoption process and to adopt those, those Ukrainian orphans. And I don't know what exactly happened at that moment, but you all know what, it, what it's like when God starts to turn your heart towards something. 
You can't really explain it. You can't describe it. You can't really chalk it up to one thing or another. And it's not really even a single moment in time. But your heart starts to just turn toward things. And God began to turn my heart toward the the, the plight of, of orphans around the world in that moment. And I remember flying home back to Chattanooga and thinking the entire way, how in the world am I going to tell Julie? Because <laughs> we had decided, you know, it, that, that was in premarital counseling. The things you decide there are like set in stone. She's going to remember that forever. And, and so I was thinking the whole way home, how in the world do I tell Julie that, that I think we need to adopt? Compound that with the fact that we're in seminary at this point. And if you've ever been to seminary or talked to people that are in seminary, there's a reason they call them starving seminarians, because you're dirt poor when you're in seminary. Um, You're you're coming out of ministry or going into ministry, and neither of those pay very well. And so we're eating rice and beans, and we have no money whatsoever. And if you know anything about adoption, it costs a lot. And I'm talking really fast. You're probably going to get a real good workout today. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Um, But anyway... Uh, so I get home, and, and I'm like, Julie, we need to talk. And, uh, and she, she has come to know since then that any time that I say that, it's, it's going to be something huge. So we, we talked, and I said, I, I, think, I think God's calling us to adopt. And she starts crying, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I've done it now. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and after she sort of dries it up a little bit, she, she says, I've been praying for you for over a year that God would change your heart about that. And she had not said a word to me. Not a single word. She hadn't asked me about children. She hadn't tried to drop hints or anything like that. She just, she had been consistently praying for me for over a year that God would change my heart regarding children, and he did. And I began to see two equally important truths. Every time I would open the words of Scripture, I would see God's love for his people and particularly God's, word, or God's love for children. It's all throughout Scripture, God's love for children, God's love and care for those who are fatherless and who cannot care for themselves, the helpless, the innocent among us. It's all over the pages of Scripture, and God was just writing that truth on my heart. And then the more that I, that I looked at the situation in our world, the more I saw that there were millions, literally millions of children who had no hope that the next day would bring them anything that was good. We had no hope, no, nobody putting them, them to bed at night, no kisses on the forehead, no, no birthday parties, none of that, just, just abject poverty, homelessness, parentlessness, and, and a complete lack of hope. And I saw those two equally important truths of God's love and care for children and the innocent, and looking at our world and seeing that, that the innocent in our world were suffering incredibly, and I'm thinking, what, what's the issue here? What... What is it that's supposed to bridge this gap? And the more I read Scripture, the more God began to implant on my heart His plan, His plan A, for, for bridging this gap is the church. The church is to be the bridge between God's heart for children and God's heart for the innocent and the realities that this world throws at and places onto children in our world. And there is no plan B. The church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. And so we, we began the adoption process. We're, again, I said, as I said, we're poor as dirt. I'm going through seminary. I'm working third shift at UPS, throwing around boxes, and, I mean, carefully placing boxes onto shelves. Um, and, and so, and so we're, you know, we're barely having enough money to kind of pay our rent and to, to, to eat. And, and adoptions cost anywhere, international adoptions can cost anywhere from twenty to $35,000. 
And we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was calling us to do it. And we had not a single dime of that money. And so Julie and I prayed, and we decided we're going to start. And if God's called us to do this, he's going to figure it out. And so we started. We started the process. We started filling out paperwork, mounds and mounds of paperwork, and uh, submitted those things. And I'm telling you, I know that you've heard testimonies of God providing at just the right time and, and all of those things. My life has been a testimony of God providing at just the right time. Um, every point along that way when we needed something, it was provided every single time. Sometimes it was through friends. Sometimes it was through family. Sometimes it was through our church family. Sometimes it was just wise decisions that God led us to make. We, we bought a foreclosed home in Louisville while I was in seminary and just fixed it up a little bit as we were going through seminary. And when we sold that house, it was the, exact, it was the month when our last big chunk of money was due uh, for our first child, Razan's adoption. And we sold it, and the amount that we made off of that sale was what we needed to be able to pay that last, that last chunk. And so every step along the way, God has provided for us. In fact, at, at this point, anytime we get extra money, We've stopped saying, what can we do with this extra money? We've started just saying, let's put this in the savings account because something's about to blow up. <laughs> something's about to happen, and God has already given us what we need for it, and so let's just set this aside and, and wait for whatever it is that he wants us to use it for. Um, but we, we went through the process to adopt our little Zan man. Um, his name is Brian Alexander. We call him Zan um, for short, and we adopted him from uh, Guatemala. Um, he is a miracle in and of himself. His birth mother was raped. And uh, she chose, rather than, rather than to abort him, she chose to go ahead and carry him and to uh, release him for adoption. And so we went through that process. We got him when he was six months old. He was this little fat, just butterball of a thing, which is awesome. If you, you know anything about most, most other countries and their orphan care situation, most of the time the children are very malnourished and are very underweight. Um, he was one of the few privileged ones that was able to be in a foster family during those first six months. And I don't think they ever put him down or took a bottle out of his mouth. Uh, <laughs> that little joker was taking eight eight-ounce bottles a day whenever we got him at six months. Yeah. So that in and of itself was a little bit of a crazy thing, just weaning him off of that so much formula. But anyway, so we brought him home. He's such a joy. Um, about a year after that, we felt God moving us again to, to do it again. We look at our bank account again and say, God, you've got to be crazy because we don't have this. And, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty detail-oriented guy. I, pretty, I like my spreadsheets and I like my columns and I like things to fit. And none of this has ever fit. I think God is the anti-spreadsheet God because things don't, things don't ever work out the way that, that I had planned for them to work out. And I had planned for us to build up some savings and to you know, be able to set some money aside for an emergency. And the thing that God continued to write in my heart is, is this not an emergency? Is, is the state that, the, that these children are in across this world, is that not an emergency enough for you to be able to give everything that I give you to it? And so we started the process again. Uh, we, we were waiting for a little girl, and um, we lost several referrals in that process, uh, birth mothers that decided to, to keep their children, which we rejoiced in, but also was painful in the middle of, middle of all that. And uh, we, were, we were waiting. One day we got a phone call, and the, the adoption agency was, said, said, we've got a three-week-old baby boy. Do you want him? And I'm thinking, is that even a question? Uh, you know, what, what kind of question are you trying to ask me here? Of course we want him. We'll, and, and she said, be there tomorrow. So we drove to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we, we were handed our, our tiny little African-American just doll baby uh, child with 
tons of hair and just a beautiful little boy. Uh, we, we later found out uh, through some medical records and stuff that, uh, that his birth mother used uh, drugs pretty heavily uh, while she was pregnant with him. And so his first few months were a lot of, uh, a lot of pain. Uh, he had a physical uh, issue that was caused by all of that pain. He was, he was drawn up so much in pain and just tensed muscles all the time because of the pain. Uh, that that it caused him to have increased muscle tone, and so we had to stretch him out every night, and uh, that was painful for him, painful for for us as parents. But God has worked miracles in his life. He's coming along so so well, uh, and just growing and developing and, and becoming all that God wants. He's the happiest child I've ever seen. He's just content everywhere that we go, and uh, you know I, I use him and my and my daughter to to sort of tell people. You know, sometimes we feel sorry for people that have special needs. Sometimes we, we think inside, man, I wish they could understand more. I wish they could see more. And I look at my two children that have special needs, and I think, I wish I could see like them. You know, I wish I, wish I didn't see and experience and know all of the things that I know that puff me up with pride and make me think that I'm something incredible. And I, if I could just become like him. And, and so... That was uh, Brennan, our second adoption, and then God said, do it again, and so we did it again, and we started, uh, started thinking. We, we weren't really in process at that moment. We were just thinking about what to do, and as God normally does, I got a phone call, and it was a friend saying, there's a Ukrainian orphan on an airplane on his way to America right now. The family that was going to host him cannot, can no longer host him. Can he stay in your house for three weeks? Okay. Um, my thought at that time was, we'll, we'll host uh, this, this Ukrainian orphan. We'll introduce him to as many families as we can possibly introduce him to. And we know that God is good enough that he's going to prick somebody's heart to adopt this little boy. And so this 13-year-old fireball got off of the airplane and just invaded our home and invaded our lives. And 24 hours later was calling me Papa, and it was all over. Uh, we... We've, we started the process. We spent a month in Ukraine to finalize the process um, with all of our kids, which that was insane. My, my five-year-old is like washing clothes in the bathtub, and, and it, was, it was insane. But so is our lives. Uh, and so we, we finished that adoption. We, we have always wanted a girl, and we've always wanted to adopt from China. We finally got old enough to adopt from China. They have some very strict rules about ages that you can adopt. And so we began the process to adopt a little girl from China, and we got, got her referral picture, and uh, we, we had said that we were open to medically correctable special needs. So things like cleft lip and cleft palate, although they are big over there, they're easily correctable. You, a couple of surgeries, they're kind of major surgeries to correct the cleft palate, but it's, it's just a surgery here. And so we, we decided to accept that referral, and we went to get her, and we walked into that cold, cold orphanage. And, and the caretaker brought her to us and, and laid her in Julie's arms, and she just laid there. And hours later, she laid there, and hours later, she laid there. Uh, we brought her home and got some testing done and some MRIs run. Uh, they, they showed us the scan of her brain and, and told us 80-some-odd you know, 80, 80 percent of where her brain should be, there's nothing there. And uh, she'll never walk. She'll never talk. She'll be on a feeding tube. She will never do more than roll over. 
And we sat in that office and brokenhearted but trusting. You ever been in that place where you're kind of like the, the guy that was talking to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, please help my unbelief? Uh, was, we were in that moment where we trusted God and we trusted God with her, but this was not exactly what we had planned on. And so we just decided to hand her over to him and whatever he wanted of her life, whether that was that she would lay in a bed for the rest of her life, which the doctors told us would be about eight years, um, whether she would lay there and, and be the most loved little girl in all of the world until God chose to take her home, or whether he would do something else, we were going to trust him with that. And so she began to develop uh, and, and progress, and uh, we happened to live, happened to happened to live in the city where the South Carolina School for the Deaf and the Blind, uh, she has cortical blindness because of the brain damage, and so she qualified to go there, and she's, get, she's gotten the most incredible care ever uh, while being there, has, has progressed so much. In fact, um, uh, just two or three days ago, for the first time, pulled up to standing. Uh, she, she's pulled up on her knees before. She's crawling all over the place. She's got 30 words in her vocabulary. She, she has memorized our home, and so she crawls all over it without hitting anything most of the time. Every now and then she finds a corner, but most of the time she crawls around and, and, and pulled up to a standing position for the first time just a few days ago. And I looked at her as she was standing there at that ottoman at our, our fireplace, and I'm thinking, God, you are so much bigger than any diagnosis, than any... She, she literally doesn't have the brain power in her head to do what she's doing right now. It's all Jesus Christ working in her life and God using her to show his glory and not anything that we can do. And so God, through building my family, has always sort of pushed us to, to be involved and to, to champion the cause of those who could not help themselves. And there are a couple of reasons that God calls the church to do that. And the first is that every child deserves love. Every child deserves love. Not just middle-class white children in the suburbs, not, not just even inner-city kids, but my child, who is the result of, of a rape nine years ago, deserves love every bit as much as any other child on this planet. My child, who was born with cleft lip and cleft palate and major issues in her brain, deserves love every bit as much as a child who is out playing ball today. My child, who watched his mother die in Ukraine and was in an orphanage for years and thought he was too old to ever be loved by anybody, to ever be adopted, deserves love. My child, who is the result of a, of a birth mother making some terrible decisions and putting his life at risk and, and causing some major damage in his life, deserves love, as does every other child on earth. And so God is writing these things in our hearts that, that every child deserves love. And the second reason why we should really care about all this is that this reflects the gospel so clearly. If you, if you read in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to throw that up on the screen, I believe. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says, the, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his, in the, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law 
of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God in his infinite grace and in his mercy towards us reaches into the orphanage crib of our lives when we could not reach out to him, when we could not get to him, when we can't get on a plane and go find a family. God our Father reaches into that orphanage of our hearts, reaches into that that crib of our lives and places us into his family. He takes us out of death and out of that helpless estate and he moves us into sonship and daughterhood in the family of God. We now have a father in God the Father. We now have a brother in Christ Jesus, his son. And we've been given an inheritance that we did not deserve and that we could not have bought if we had. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is so clearly presented in the, in the picture, the beautiful miracle that is adoption and that is caring for orphans. And so God is writing these things on our hearts and moving in us, and we always knew that we wanted to be involved in full-time orphan care at some point. We didn't know what that was going to look like or what that was, uh, when that was going to be or where that was going to be, and so we just kind of kept ourselves open and just asking God, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? If orphan care is that we continue to adopt until we die, we're going to do it. We'll say yes every single time that you tell us to do it, and we'll, we'll just keep doing this. If orphan care means that we will guide your people to care about orphans, We'll do that. If orphan care means that we move halfway across the world, we'll do that. And selfishly for a long time, the numbers in my head and the fact that we have two children that are special needs and are getting incredible care in the United States made me say no for a while to God when I knew he was calling us to move. Because I looked at our situation and I looked at what kind of care they were getting and I looked at the situation that we're going to be going into and the, the lack of care that is there. And I, I, I leaned on that instead of leaning on the God who I had trusted up to this point with my children. And I said no to him for a while and he finally kicked me in the face enough that I said yes. And I, I remember the moment that I said that. I'd gone to Uganda a couple of times and I'd seen some of the things that were going on there. Um, I wish I could just sort of pull back the wall and, and we could see into Uganda so I could just show you some of these things because it's almost impossible to, to understand the gravity of the situation there. Um, the AIDS crisis has, has destroyed sub-Saharan Africa. It, it has taken out parent after parent after parent after parent and left Uganda and many other nations there as literally as a nation of children. Uh, some statistics say up to 75% of the, of the population of Uganda is under 18. And so it is, it is very normal to see a 12-year-old girl caring for four, five, six younger siblings, and she is all alone, and she has no clue what she's doing. And she's just raising these kids and trying to take care of them and trying to get food in their mouth. It's not uncommon to walk down the side of the street and to see a culvert where raw sewage is flowing and to see children inside that ditch trying to find something. Not uncommon to see uh, children completely barefoot with oozing sores all over their feet, just wounds that, that are, are bleeding as they walk. 
And I remember asking one of our translators, you know, can we do something for her feet? Can we get some medical care? Can we wrap up her feet? Can we do something? Does that not hurt her? And uh, the translator said, changed my life forever. She said, they, they're so used to this that it doesn't hurt anymore. And I thought in that moment, what tragedy it must be for the God of this universe who breathed life into everything that exists, who made it by speaking it, and who loves every single human heart. What a tragedy it must be for him as he looks down on his people and he sees churches filled with people that could do something, that are content to sit and to soak in his glory, to enjoy his presence but to do nothing about the millions around the world who have no access to the gospel, much less clean water and food. And so we decided that even though it doesn't make any sense for us, we can't go with many traditional missions organizations. Uh, we're, we're from a Southern Baptist church, but we can't go with the International Mission Board because they don't accept families that have children with special needs. They consider that too heavy a burden for, for missionary families. So we can't go with the International Mission Board. We can't go with many other Uh, missions agencies like Frontiers or other uh, Pioneers or any of those places because they don't consider Africa to be unreached, which is another whole sermon in itself, but I won't won't keep you here all day, maybe. Um, And so we're having to raise all of our own support. We're having to build this ministry from the ground up, and I'm telling you, God has blessed every single minute of it. From the very beginning, when I said yes to him, he has brought people around me that I had no idea, had no idea, had a heart for orphans, had a heart for, for caring for children who are partnering with us in, in so many incredible ways. Uh, we're forming this, this nonprofit 501c3 organization, and the process to get 501c3 generally takes nine months to a year. Um, we got our letter from, from the IRS three months after we submitted saying you're approved. That doesn't happen ever. With no explanation, no, no, we don't need clarification on this, we don't need, you know, the, all of the things that normally come from the IRS, God just wiped straight through all of that and said, here, here it is on a platter, take it, move, go. And so he's taken away every excuse that I could possibly have. And so we're going. Next March, uh, I will pack up uh, three of our five children, I'll explain the fifth one in just a minute, but uh, three of us will be, will be heading off to Uganda, Africa, to live the rest of our lives. My oldest has just started college, and so he's going to stay here for college, and then he's going to determine where God wants him to be. And, um, man, I've spent years, 15 years, doing student ministry and telling parents, if God calls your, your kid to go overseas, you've got to let him go. You've got to let him be faithful to what God's called him to do. And now I'm in this opposite situation. I'm like, this stinks <laughs> because I want my son with me. Um, but he's staying here and figuring out what God wants him to do with his life. And I rejoice in that as I, as I mourn over not being with him every day. Uh, our, our fifth is actually in Uganda right now. We're in the process to adopt him. Um, he's uh, 14 and is in the northern region of Uganda where the 20 years war and all the Joseph Kony stuff, all of that just ravaged the northern part of the country and uh, is waiting for us. I got a message from him this morning. Waiting for us. And so we're going to pack up our family and eight bags and get on an airplane and live the rest of our lives in Uganda. We're going to become Ugandan citizens. We're going to learn the local languages. We're going to live there, 
feed their church there, uh, care for what God calls us to care for there, and I hope one day to be buried in, in a wooden box out in the middle of a field somewhere in Uganda. But the reason why we're going there is because more than half of the children in the hundreds of orphanages and children's homes that are in Uganda are not true orphans. Uh, many of them have one or both parents within two miles of where the orphanage is. And they're parents who have been faced with the decision, either I keep my child and they'll be in the exact same situation that I'm in right now, 20 years from now, and they'll have no hope, no education, nothing to their name. Or I can go give up my parental rights and I can give my child to this orphanage and they're going to get an education, they're going to get food every single day, which doesn't happen out in in the bush much. They're going to get food every day. They're going to be cared for, they're going to get medical care, and they're going to have a future. And so it's caused moms and dads to make the heart-wrenching, gut-twisting decision to give up their children so that their children can have an education and can have food. And no parent should ever have to make that decision. And so we are going in to build Benjamin House, which is an orphan care facility with the purpose of closing orphan care facilities. And I know that doesn't make sense, but not much of what God's called me to do makes much sense. So... I've stopped questioning all of that. I just do what he tells me to do. And so our hope is to reunite families. We want to reunite kids back into their homes and take care of the, the tiny little problems that, that, that are causing them to give up their children. School costs 30 to $40, most schools, 30 to $40 for an entire semester over there, which is an insurmountable amount of money for them. They, can't, they couldn't come up with that in a year. Most Most people make about a dollar a day, and so there's no way that they could come up with that for school. But if we can find somebody in the United States that says, yeah, I love that kid, and I'm going to sponsor that kid, and he's going to go to school on my dime, and I can reunite that child back with their family and take care of that little problem. And these kids have grown up for generations in Uganda having no idea how to be a mom and a dad because they've grown up in these institutions and these boarding schools. All they know is a room full of 16 bunk beds and a caregiver they don't know what it is to have a dad that picks you up after you, you know, hurt yourself or a mom that gives you a kiss on the forehead when somebody hurts your feelings or, or whatever. They, they've never experienced that before, so they have no idea how to be moms and dads. And it has ravaged that nation. And even though it is a bigger vision and a bigger thing than I could ever have dreamed and that I, 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 I still don't know how God's going to do it, we're going into that place with the goal of changing an entire nation and the way that they see children and the way that they view families over the course of our lives. I'm going to spend every single day that I have and every breath left in my lungs doing that. I will proclaim Jesus Christ and Him resurrected and with every day that I have left and call parents to be parents, teach children how to be parents, partner with families to know how to raise their kids and how to, how to, do, how to do these things, how to care for the things that God cares about. And so I'm going all over the place over the next few months. Uh, we've got about five months left, five and a half months left, six months, somewhere in there. Um, I'm going all over the place telling the story. Uh, God has taken away every single, every ounce of apprehension in my body about taking care of us. God's going to take care of us. I don't know how it's going to happen. The dollars don't make sense. I don't care. God's going to take care of us. Uh, I've stopped worrying about any of that. God's just told me to tell the story. And so I'm going to as many places as I can go, and I'm telling the story. And I'm asking people to do a couple of things. Number one, pray for us. The, the power of prayer 
is, is we sometimes understand a little bit of it in the United States. Um, believers in other countries understand the power of prayer because they have nothing else. We don't have to worry about where we're going to lay our heads tonight. Many people do. And so praying that God will provide a place, provide a meal, is, is all they have to hold on to so they understand the power of prayer. And I, what I need is people who will squarely look me in the eye and say, Bucky, we've got you. We're going to pray for you every single day until the Lord calls me home. I, I, don't, I don't need to be placed on a, on a prayer list somewhere or a bulletin board or any of that kind of stuff. That's, all that's fine, and if it helps remind people to pray, that's great. I need prayer warriors to determine that my family means something to them and they're going to pray for us every single day for God to just do incredible things in my family, in my children's lives, and use us to affect an entire nation. I, I want to wake up 20 years from now and there be half as many orphanages as there are today in the country of Uganda. And I believe that God can do something as crazy and as big as that because he's God. <laughs> the worlds are like a thimble to him. It's nothing for him to do this, and, and I believe that he'll do it. And so partnering with us in prayer, um, telling our story. We've got tons of materials out here that we would love to give you, um, just pamphlets and brochures, and our website is just full of information. Our Facebook page, which, by the way, if you're on Facebook, please go like our Benjamin House Ministries page. Um, I'm giving you permission in church, in a church sanctuary. Get your phone out, get on Facebook, and look up Benjamin House Ministries and like that page, because the more, the more of those things we have, the more reach we have with telling our story. Every time you like or share or comment on a status, it helps spread our reach to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more people than would have heard it otherwise. And so we want you to tell our story. Tell it to your family. Tell it to your friends. Tell it to your coworkers. God, I'm telling you, this I, I can't fully describe. I'm going to have to write a book one day of all the crazy things that God has done through this. I went to a shaved ice stand. Okay, one of those little like side of the road shanty things that does shaved ices because I wanted to get shaved ices for my kids. I let, went up and ordered my five shaved ices. She finishes finishes making them and she says, "You're that guy that's doing that Benjamin House thing, right?" I was like, "Yeah, that's me." I, I was probably wearing a shirt, so it, um, I said, "Yeah, that's me." And she said, "Hang on a second, I've got something for you." So she went out the back door of her her little stand and she went to her car and she brought back a little gift bag with tissue on top and gave it to me, and I'm thinking, oh, that's sweet, you know, she's got us a little something, that's really awesome, how does she even know me, and so I, I didn't open it right there, because that's just weird to open something in front of somebody that just gave it to you, so I told her thank you, and I put it in the car, and I went home, and I gave my kids their, their snow cones, and I took the, the tissue off the top, and they're literally stacks, stacks of cash inside this bag, and she, I went back, obviously, and I was like, what in the world are you doing here? Uh, she had been saving all of her proceeds from that summer, and was waiting on God to show her somebody to give it to you. And so there were $2,500 bills bundled up in that bag. I'm telling you. $2,500 bills bundled up inside that bag, and she's going to help some child. This is not theory. This isn't pictures on, on a magazine. It's not videos that we see and forget. These are real children. I've seen them. I've looked into their eyes. I've pulled their hands, and I will, I will make sure that they know Jesus and that they have food and that they, they get reunited with their families. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. And so God is just bringing people out of the woodworks to do stuff like that. And so if God leads you to partner with us financially, that's fine, but I'm not asking for money. I'm done asking for money. I'm just trusting God and telling our story, and he has been bringing us every single thing that we need.
So if you want to partner with us in that way, you can get information about that um, out at our table as well. God is good all the time. And he is not just good in Sebring, Florida, or in Chattanooga, Tennessee, or in Spartanburg, South Carolina. He is good across this globe. And even when we don't understand what's happening, when, when we look at situations and say, how can a good and a loving God allow this? Even in those times, we have to look to him and say, man, maybe this, maybe this child's life, sole purpose was to get a hold of my heart and to cause me to love him more so that I would go and be used of God to, be, to affect thousands and thousands of children over the course of my lifetime. What if God would use people? I'm, I'm finding every single time I go and I tell this story, there are people just waiting. People sitting in pews and in churches all across this country that are just waiting for an opportunity to be a part of something that is bigger than what they are. And so here's an opportunity. We, we, we really want you to pray with us. We really want you to pray for us. I'm going to pray and I'm going to dismiss and we're going to, we're going to be out of here. I'm going to be over here in the foyer with my team um, that's going with me. Uh, in addition to my family, this is another chapter in my book, by the way. Um, in addition to my family, God has raised up three college-aged students that are giving their lives to go with us. They, they have no reason to do that. One of them is going at great personal cost to himself. Um, and I don't know why God would do that. I don't know why God would work in somebody's heart to do that. But they're, they're giving up the American dream to go and to be in a very uncomfortable place, to be dirty, for the rest of their lives. There's dirt everywhere in Uganda. Um, just because God said go. And you can help us go. So pray for us as, as we go. Thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to be here and to um, just be able to share a little bit about what God's done in my life and what he's continued to do through us. Let me pray for us and then we'll be done. God, thank you so much for just for who you are, for what you have done, for your character and your nature. God, for being good to us, for, for creating us, and not only for creating us, but for seeing and knowing before you breathed life into Adam that he would reject you. And that sin would enter this world, and that you would have to provide a Savior. You would have to satisfy your own wrath. And you chose to create us. God, what an incredible truth. What a what a huge, mind-blowing truth. What a scandal your grace is in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for that. God, you have placed us in this time and in this moment for a purpose. You have given us everything that we have so that we can use those things to tell this world that things and stuff are not our God. They are not our priority. You are. God, would you work in our hearts? Would you mold our lives to look more like Jesus? Would you continue to build us up and make us into a household of faith, a beacon and a lighthouse in this world that shows who you are and what you can do with a life that is fully surrendered to you? God, I pray for these precious people in this room. Lord, as I stand on this stage and I looked out in this congregation and I saw eyes staring back at me, I see people that you love, that you know, you know every single situation in this room, you know the things that are, that are weighing heavy on hearts in this room, and God, I just, I, I want to pray for the people that are in this room right now. They're, 
There are some in this room who have received news this week that is life-changing, and they're not thinking about anything else right now except that. And I pray that you would just speak to them, that you would be their father during this time. God, would you raise us all up to reflect the gospel by caring for those who cannot care for themselves. God, help us to draw near to one another with one purpose, and in unity say, we will charge the gates of hell for the rest of our lives. We have one life. God, you've given us this one opportunity to make a difference and to do something incredible, and we pray that you would help us to do that. God, help us to see where you're working and to move toward that. Lord, we surrender our lives and we surrender this day to you. Lord, would you be pleased? Would you establish the work the hands of your servants, and be pleased with our hearts we serve you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Thank you so much.